0: It's Tech Biter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blynn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 310 for September 16th, 2012. Task Power lets you see what's going on inside your computer. Improving your Wi Fi network. Free music, as in free speech and free beer. And in short circuits, it might have been a router problem, not anonymous, that took down GoDaddy. Amazon's Kindle Fire will fire ads for 15 bucks. Google Android hits half a billion. And HP accelerates its negative growth. A PC magazine utility called Task Power is now in its fifth iteration, and it continues to improve. In fact, it's the magazine's second most popular utility, being beaten only by Startup Cop Pro. If you use the Windows Task Manager and wish it could tell you more, well, you probably want Task Power. You can monitor the processes running on the computer and see which processes are using the most CPU, the most memory, have the most files open or use the most bandwidth. This is one useful utility to have around when you're trying to determine the cause of a problem. PC Magazine's utility subscription service costs $20 a year, or you can buy individual utilities for a few dollars each. I prefer the subscription. This new version of Task Power adds some tabs and improves some others. A Drives tab lists the system's disk drives and shows drive usage percentages. But I have to wonder what 6,877.49% means. Are my disks running 68 times faster than they can actually run? You know, well, that's a question for another time. When the drives support it, you'll also see the temperature of the device, and that can be handy. Note, though, that this panel may take a while to start. On my desktop machine, populating the drives tab can take 30 to 60 seconds. And sometimes, task power just stops working, although the process itself doesn't terminate. As a result, any attempt to reopen task power fails, and the only recovery involves a visit to the processes tab of the Windows Task Manager, where I can kill the process. A network apps tab, when it opens, will show all system processes and applications that have active network connections along with local and remote addresses and ports. As with the Drives tab, sometimes this one just doesn't want to open, and it crashes the application but doesn't terminate the process. Yes, I'm kind of suggesting there are some bugs in here. The old Applications tab has been replaced by a new and improved Tasks tab. It uses a tree view to show child processes. The resulting display is both neater and easier to understand than before. Applications display the program's icon in place of a generic icon that's in use for system processes. The display shows the process ID and how many resources, CPU, IO, memory, and threads, that the process is using. The Services tab has been improved so that it reveals the actual name of the service, for example, WDI System Host, instead of the useless ServiceHost.exe, as in the previous version. Everything looked like it was run by ServiceHost.exe. what well, actually it was, but the real process behind ServiceHost might be, for example, WDI System Host. And, by the way, you'll find screenshots of all these screens on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Wonder what drivers are installed, what version they are, if a particular driver is running or not. If it is running, is it started automatically or manually? Maybe you want to know where on the file system the file is located. Those are some of the basic questions that the Drivers tab answers. If you want more, there's a link that'll perform an Internet search using Google, but the search function automatically opens Internet Explorer, even if another browser is set to be the default. Why is this? I've noticed this behavior recently with several applications, and I don't like it. If there's a reason that the calling application needs Internet Explorer, maybe it needs support for ActiveX technology, for example, well then, okay, call IE, otherwise, come on guys, use the browser that I want and stop trying to make decisions for me. The performance tab should be the most useful of the tabs, but really it isn't. It provides an overall view of system resources and several pretty charts, but I found no way to drill down for detailed information. The networking tab isn't particularly useful for most of us either. It does show which adapters have network activity, but unless you're a network engineer, this tab will probably be just another pretty graph with indecipherable information. Now we come to the locked files tab. That can be useful. When a file is in use, some applications lock it so that other applications can't change it. That's good, but sometimes the locks persist even after the file has been closed. You can't delete a file that the system believes is locked, but on this tab you can break the connection between the application and the file, and then you can delete it. So use the power with care. Initially, you won't see any files in the list. That surprised me a little bit. I expected to see a list of all files that were locked. Instead, you see a blank list. Question: Is a blank list really a list? Also a question for another time. In any event, just fill in the name of the file you're looking for and search for it. That's if you're looking for a specific file. Or just leave the search box empty and click search. Then you'll see all locked files. You may be surprised by how many files are in use and locked. You may also see a start and stop profiles tab. I see this tab on a notebook computer that runs Windows 8, but I don't see it on the desktop machine that runs Windows 7. Bottom line for PC Magazine TaskPower 3 cats, TaskPower 5 is an ambitious upgrade, but it still needs a little work. PC Magazine has more than enough utilities to be worth the $20 annual fee, and maybe the next version of TaskPower will have both the stability and performance of earlier versions and the enhanced features of this version. For more information, visit the PC Magazine Task Power 5 website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Recently, my old Wi Fi router croaked, and I replaced it with a somewhat more capable unit. The new system was good, but I felt that I could make it even better, and it wasn't really very difficult to do that. When the router failed, I called Wide Open West to confirm that the problem wasn't on their end of the wire, and the technician noticed that I was using an outdated cable modem. He sent a replacement. You'll see a picture of it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The new cable modem to the right of the new router. Although the old cable modem was supposed to top out at 10 megabits per second, it actually handled the full 16 megabits per second that WoW now provides. The old Netgear router, however, provided a slow Wi-Fi connection. I replaced the Netgear Wi-Fi router with one from D-Link, not because D-Link routers are inherently better than Netgear routers, but because D-Link is one of the brands that Microcenter carries and I needed to purchase the replacement immediately. The D-Link router promised considerably faster Wi-Fi connections, and it's providing 16 megabits per second wirelessly. Our notebook, computers, and tablets are really happy. By default, most Wi-Fi routers operate on channel 6, just like your old CB radio, Wi-Fi has channels, and the most popular channels tend to be the busiest. You'll see a picture of the Wi-Fi spectrum in my neighborhood if you take a look at the TechBiter Worldwide website. Initially, the D-Link router operated on Channel 6, but Channel 1 is generally quieter, so I moved the router there. And yes, I really do use FBI Surveillance 4267 as my SSID. In part, I figure nobody will try to hitch a free ride on a network with that ID. Channels 15 and 16 would have been better, but the router won't work there. The router works in mixed 802.11n, 802.11g, and 802.11b modes. If I could switch to 802.11n mode exclusively, throughput would be faster, but not all of the devices I have are capable of 802.11n. Wi-Fi signals can, of course, pass through walls, but how wide is the wall? Your home's walls are probably about 3 inches thick. That would be the size of a 2 by 4 and the drywall sheets attached to both sides of the wooden studs. You'd think a Wi-Fi signal would be able to pass right through this, wouldn't you? And you'd be right, if the path is straight through. The Wooden studs are placed about every 18 inches, so the signal has to pass through only two layers of drywall, right? Wrong. It all depends on the angles, If the angle relative to the walls between the router and the computer that needs to connect to the internet via Wi-Fi is close to ninety degrees, there's no problem because then the wall will appear to the signal to be just three inches thick. But if the angle is oblique, the wall may appear to the Wi-Fi signal as being eight to ten feet thick. My router sits against an exterior wall, that means it's providing a great signal that fully covers the front lawn the street in front of the house, and probably at two or three houses across the street. Currently, it's also providing adequate coverage inside the house, too. If this wasn't the case, it would make sense to move the Wi-Fi router to a more central location. If you can't move your router to a better location, you might be able to improve coverage in the more distant areas of your home with a directional antenna. And these require a router that allows you to attach an external antenna, and not all do. The cost will be from $50 to $200, but if you're a cheap person, well, you can do one of two things. You can build a directional antenna, and that's the better choice. You'll find a video on the TechBiter Worldwide website that shows how to do this. Second, if your router has an antenna that's outside the box, you can build a reflector using a beer can or some other beverage can, if you prefer. Lifehacker describes the process, and you'll find a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I would try option number two first and fall back to constructing an antenna, only if it doesn't provide the satisfactory results. Wi-Fi routers can operate in two frequency bands, 5 GHz, which is usually pretty clean, and 2.4 GHz. Unfortunately, those frequencies are shared with baby monitors, garage door openers, and cordless phones. The 5 GHz signals are better, so buy a router that uses those frequencies if you can. If you enjoy music, you might want to know about MuseOpen.org. It's a non-profit organization dedicated to improving access and exposure to music by creating free resources and free educational materials. The MuseOpen site provides recordings, sheet music, and textbooks to the public for free. That's like in No Money Required. There are no copyright restrictions. So how do they do this? Well, MuseOpen was founded by Aaron Dunn while he was still attending Skidmore College. Although the project began as an experiment, it has become one of the most popular copyright-free public domain music sources on the Internet. In addition to running MuseOpen, Dunn is the director of marketing for Mixpanel. That's a company that provides analytics for website operators. MuseOpen provides recordings of music that's in the public domain. This term refers to works that are not protected by federal copyright law and are free to be used, copied, and distributed by anyone without attribution, permission, license, or royalty payment. In other words, public domain is the recording industry of America's worst nightmare. Works can be relegated to public domain status when their copyright protection expires if the work fails to qualify for copyright protection, or if the author of the work explicitly placed it in the public domain. MuseOpen explains that there are at least two copyrights to any sound recording of a musical work. First, there's the copyright on the underlying composition. Second, the copyright on the particular performance. By way of example, consider Imagine by John Lennon. If you record a performance of that work. John Lennon's estate holds a copyright on the sheet music, and you hold a copyright on your performance. Your rights are, of course, limited by John Lennon's estate. There is a bit of a catch to Muse Open. It requires that all users who upload music to the site represent that the composition and the recording are in the public domain, but the service cannot guarantee that any music uploaded by users is, in fact, in the public domain. Muse Open says that it tries to prevent copyright infringement, and that it complies with the requirements of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, but that it does not review music uploaded by users. Dunn is ambitious about this project, and he wanted to hire an orchestra to perform music so that additional recordings could be placed in the public domain. That would require a considerable amount of money, even for a modest number of recordings. So, Muse Open turned to Kickstarter and set a goal of collecting $11,000. In fact, they raised $70,000. Have you heard of Kickstarter? A Polish restaurant in Columbus found the location it was planning to move to needed several thousand dollars worth of unanticipated sprinkler system repairs. It turned to Kickstarter to raise money. Kickstarter works with individuals and groups who need to raise money to finance an idea. Participants develop a budget and create a video that explains the project, Kickstarter then publishes the proposals without charge. Donors pledge whatever they want, large amounts or small, but the donors' credit cards are charged only if the project reaches the full amount of its requested budget, so it's a perfect match for Muse Open. Some of Muse Open's recordings are from the Skidmore College Orchestra in Saratoga Springs, New York. These aren't recordings made by the New York Philharmonic, but college orchestras do have some talented musicians. Downloads are limited to five per day in mp3 format, and you must register. Or, you can have unlimited downloads for $50 per year, and the files you download will possibly be high quality files instead of mp3. The website explains this option is $4 a month or $50 a year. Now you know, the last time I checked, most years had 12 months, and 12 times 4 is 48. But the annual plan is still 50 Well. 50 bucks a year, 48, whatever. It's pretty reasonable. Despite offering to accept an American Express card, though, the site could not comprehend Amex's four-digit security code, so I ended up using a Visa card. I also found out that, despite the promises, not all of the selections are available as lossless MP4 files. In fact, it looks like most of the files are lossy MP3 files. Note, too, that Muse Open is not a source for the most recent pop, rap, or rock selections site is heavily tilted toward classical music, which is okay with me. bottom line for Muse Open, classical music fans will probably like it. Otherwise, eh, not so much. This is a great idea, but it's still really early in the implementation. Technically, it could be a lot better. A more comprehensive selection of music would be helpful. Muse Open is good enough to be worth supporting. But don't expect too much out of it, at least not right away. For more information, check the Muse Open website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, the ballot of GoDaddy. GoDaddy's a registrar that's also a website hosting company. On Monday, people who had websites hosted by GoDaddy or who received their email via GoDaddy suddenly found no new messages in their mailboxes and no website where one used to be. Then, Anonymous, a group of hackers who like to deface websites, claimed credit. Although this seemed plausible, it also now seems that it just wasn't true. GoDaddy CEO Scott Wagner says the problem turned out to be a bit more mundane. It was an internal network error that took down several million websites, despite claims by Anonymous that that group had launched a distributed denial-of-service attack. That's the second time in September that the group has claimed credit for a problem it didn't cause. GoDaddy hasn't said exactly what the problem was, but most speculation seems to suggest a router issue. GoDaddy is the registrar for more than 53 million domain names, including TechBiter.com, and it hosts about 5 million websites, not including TechBiter.com. A week ago, Anonymous claimed to have hacked into an FBI agent's computer and to have stolen 500,000 IDs belonging to Apple users. In fact, the IDs had been stolen, but from a company in Florida. Amazon's Kindle Fire displays advertisements. That's one of the reasons that Amazon can sell the devices at the prices it advertises. But users have been less than enthusiastic about the special offers that appear. If you want to get rid of the ads, you can. All it takes is 15 bucks, and Amazon will turn off the ads. Last week, Amazon introduced the larger and more expensive models from $160 to 600 but the company received a lot of pushback from potential buyers. Not so much about the ads, as about Amazon's failure to provide a way for buyers to eliminate the ads, even though Amazon had allowed buyers of earlier tablet models to do so. So, the company's PR department went into overdrive, insisting that few people have chosen to opt out because they really like the special offers. Still, if you'd prefer not to have the tablet throw ads at you, now you can pay a few bucks and opt out. Google announced this week that its Android operating system is now running half a billion mobile devices. Last year, the company hit the 100 million mark, and it is now resting comfortably at five times that number. Google made the announcement on the eve of Apple's iPhone 5 launch. (laughs) Was that coincidental, you think? This means that Android continues to maintain its position as the leader for mobile devices, powering more than half of the tablets and smartphones on the planet. Smartphone sales are clearly far stronger than those for Android-powered tablets, powered in large part by sales of Galaxy S2 and Galaxy S3 phones. A research organization called Ovum says that Android will dominate the smartphone market through 2017. Ovum expects Android to have 48% of the smartphone market then, Apple to have about 27%, and the rest of the bunch to battle over the remaining market share. Another new smartphone, the Nexus, is expected to be released within the next several months, and Google has just released the latest Jelly Bean version of the operating system. The Nexus should be released before the end of the year, and Google likes to use new product releases to highlight its growth. So, stay tuned. Earlier this year, a struggling Hewlett-Packard said it had planned to eliminate 27,000 jobs by 2014. That would be about 8% of the company's global workforce. Now, in a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, HP says that number was wrong. It's really 29,000 people who lose their jobs as HP tries to fire its way to profitability. HP says it will furlough about 12,000 workers by the end of October. HP's fiscal year begins in November. More employees than expected stepped forward to accept early retirement packages. HP CEO Meg Whitman spoke with Economic Times, which is based in India, and said that operations in India will change little. That would suggest that most of the layoffs will be among higher-paid U.S. workers. HP has already taken an $8 billion charge to pay part of the costs of the layoffs, The company says it will be reducing our cost structure and realigning our workforce to create investment capacity, support growth initiatives and innovation, and facilitate more effective operations. Ooh, that was a mouthful. Among the changes already underway, combining HP's personal computer and printer business units. Thanks for listening to Tech Biter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blynn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.